The Lord is with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Grace and peace to you in the name of our Savior Jesus Christ as we greet you this Lord's Day. Our congregation present in Marsh Chapel, 735 Commonwealth Avenue in the city of Boston. Our congregation present in New England through National Public Radio, WBUR 90.9 FM. Our congregation around the globe, present through webcast and podcast through our website, bu.edu forward slash chapel. Together, we celebrate the gifts of life, faith, and love. And so we are very pleased to welcome to our pulpit today Dr. Mark Baker as part of our summer national preaching series. Dr. Baker brings with him the riches of the Mennonite tradition as he is a licensed minister in the Mennonite Brethren Church and is also professor at Mennonite Brethren Biblical Seminary in Fresno, California. Dr. Bar Baker has also served as a missionary in Tegucigalpa, Honduras, and he continues a relationship with a church community there. So we are very pleased to welcome him to our pulpit today. The Marsh Chapel Choir and Dr. Scott Allen Jarrett, the Marsh Chapel Congregation at Boston University, and Dean Robert Allen Hill, invite your support, prayerful and material. Invite your presence, actual and virtual as we celebrate in the love and worship of God. So now, beloved, rise up now and throughout this service, in body as you are able, but certainly in heart, as we worship God in love and in praise.
Dearly beloved, let us pray together. Grant to us, Lord, we pray, the spirit to think and do always those things that are right, that we, who cannot exist without you, may by you be enabled to live according to your will. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. God invites us to a time of silent confession during the singing of the Kyrie. If we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. from Paul's epistle to the church in Rome, chapter 10, verses 5 through 15. Moses writes concerning the righteousness that comes from the law, that the person who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that comes from faith says, do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? that is, to bring Christ down? Or who will descend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead? But what does it say? The word is near you, on your lips and in your heart, that is, the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For one believes with the heart, and so is justified, and one confesses with the mouth, and so is saved. The scripture says, No one who believes in him will be put to shame. 
for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all and is generous to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how are they to call on one in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in one of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone to proclaim him? And how are they to proclaim him unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him, sing praises to him, tell of all his wonderful works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Remember the wonderful works he has done, his miracles, and the judgments he uttered. O offspring of servant Abraham, children of Jacob, his chosen ones, when he summoned famine against the land and broke every staff of bread, he had set a man ahead of him, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. His feet were hurt with fetters, his neck was put in a collar of iron, until what, what he said came to pass. The word of the Lord kept testing. The king sent and released him. The ruler of the people set him free. He made him lord of his house and ruler of all his possessions to instruct his officials at his pleasure and to teach his elders wisdom that they might keep his statutes and observe his laws. Praise the Lord. people of God rise up for the singing of the Gloria Dei, the reading of the gospel, and the singing of our hymn number 363. Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Luke, chapter 15, verses 1 through 3 and 11 through 32. Glory to you. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout the country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. 
he would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare, but here I am dying of hunger? I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And get the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him, but he answered his father, Listen, for all these years I've been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your command yet you have never given me even a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord
I invite you to imagine yourself on the edges of society in Jesus' day. Imagine that you're a prostitute, a leper, tax collector, or some other person that leaves you feeling like you have a sign you're wearing around that says, unclean, sinner. Then one day, this rabbi, Jesus, comes to your town and treats you with love and respect, talks about the reign of God in a way that includes you. And then, unbelievably, Jesus invites you to a meal he's hosting in a home. How does it feel to be sitting at the table with him? Let's keep imagining. The next day, Jesus again is teaching, and you and a number of other outcasts are standing there listening, and then some scribes, Pharisees, teachers of the law come along and listen as well. And you hear them whispering amongst each other, but whispering loud enough that you can hear saying, look at this guy. Says he's a prophet, but look at Look at the kind of people he's hanging around with. Look at these sinners. He's even welcomed them, and he eats with them. How do their words make you feel? Well, Jesus responded to those comments, to those complaints, by telling three parables. The parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost sons. Both groups the religious insiders and the religious outsiders are listening as Jesus tells these parables. Now, these parables are from, um, from the culture and context of those who are listening. So Jesus did not have to explain to them customs and traditions from their own time, things like inheritance, a man running down a street, or the intricacies of celebratory dinners. We, however, are from a different time and a different culture. And many of those details are lost on us. So I'd like to retell this parable this morning, uh, filling in some of those details. And I'm leaning heavily here on uh, the work of Kenneth Bailey, a New Testament scholar who grew up in the Middle East and later lived there as an adult as well. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to pretend that I'm a man who was uh, living in the village where um, this parable took place, this parable of the lost sons from our gospel reading today. Um, so a couple times in the next 10 minutes or so, I'll come back to the 21st century to explain a couple things, but most of the time you can imagine me being first century Jewish man from this village. Are you ready? Well, amazing things have been happening in our village. In one family, the younger son asked his father for his inheritance. Can you believe that? Has anything like that ever happened in your village? I mean, it's like, it's, it's like as if he'd said, Dad, you know, I wish you'd just die. What nerve. What disrespect. Of course, we all expected the father to punish the son, disown him. But you know what? He gave him the inheritance. Of course, we also expected that the older son would intervene to try to, to resolve this problem between his father, and his brother. Or at the very least, to say to his father, I don't have anything to do with this. I'm not going to accept my part. But the older son did nothing. Well, news about this spread through the village rapidly. And people were pretty upset. 
I think the younger son started feeling quite uncomfortable in our village. So you know what he did? You're probably thinking he went back to his father and said, I'm sorry, what a mistake. No. He tried to sell the land. Selling family land. Can you believe that? I mean, what would his kids have? He would have nothing to give as an inheritance himself. And what about his father? What would his father have to live off of when he grew old? Not only is it disrespectful, inconsiderate, it's also against the laws of our time. Well, trying to sell it only made things worse. Each person he'd try to sell it to would insult him, get angry, and say, I'm not going to have any part of this. At least that's what I said. But finally, he, he sold it to a merchant, a man new to town, a cheat, I might add. Well, as soon as the younger son got the money from the sale, he took off. He couldn't feel very welcome and comfortable in our village after having done such shameful things. Well, he went to a Gentile land and squandered all his money. You can imagine how. About the same time, a famine hit that area, and he, being a foreigner, was one of the first to feel the effects of this famine. So there he was, hungry, feeding pigs. He'd obviously lost all respect for our religion. Feeding pigs, wishing that he could eat the food that he was giving to these pigs. So he's in a tough situation. He's, he knows if he returns home, he would face the scorn of the village. After all that we had done insulting him, scorning him when he was with us, how much more would we do when we returned in the condition he was in? But worse than that, he knew he had further complicated his situation by spending all of his inheritance in a Gentile land. Not only did he have to worry about his father's anger, according to the laws of our day, that would ban him from the village for life, for having spent his inheritance in that way. But what's he going to do? He's dying where he's at, so in des desperation, he decides to turn and start walking towards home. And as he's walking, thinking about, what can I do? And what he comes up with is his plan was, maybe if I ask my father for a job, be one of the hired hands, then I could work on our farm and gradually pay back my debt, pay back the inheritance, and then maybe then I wouldn't be banned from the village. So he's going back thinking, so what can I say? I need to say something briefly, get to the point. Um, so he crafted this speech as he is walking, and he imagined, this is what I'll say. I'll say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. Well, you can imagine him coming back to our village, the whole way thinking how we would respond to him, what his father would say, wishing that there was a back way that he could sneak into town, into his house, but there isn't. He had to come right down the main street. Well, I was one of the first to see him. What a sight he was. Dirty, thin, barefoot, old patched up clothes, rags really. He walked with his head low, kind of like this, probably hoping we wouldn't recognize him. But honestly, I was glad to see how bad he looked. I didn't want my sons getting a foolish idea like this. I yelled and called them to come right away. And as I yelled, others started gathering, started insulting him, scorning him. A crowd gathered. People are calling out. And then someone said, 
get some nuts, get some corn, because that's our ceremony for banning someone to the vi- from the village. We burn that and have a ceremony. But all of a sudden, as we were standing there watching this son come walking this way, I felt the crowd turn and look this way, and I turned with them. And you know what I saw? The father running, running down the street. We were shocked and then even more surprised when the father hugged and kissed his son. That shut us all up. We could not really insult, shame, or ban the son if his own father, who had the most right to, did not. In fact, his father was willing to humiliate himself to stop us from shaming or banning his son. Okay, let's uh, step back to the 21st century for a moment. Let me explain two things. Um, First of all, the son, uh, the father running down to greet his son. Uh, This is not a scene from a New England farm, you know, a farmhouse on a country lane, the the son running down a long, walking down a long driveway. In the Middle East um, at that time, and I think still currently, everyone lived together in the village and their farmland was out around the village. So when this younger son is coming home, to come home is to walk right into the middle of the village. The second thing, um, you know, we think nothing of the father ran to greet his son because he hadn't seen him for so long. We could go to the airport today or to the train station and see the same thing here in Boston. But in the Middle Eastern culture at that time, it was a thing of great shame for a man to run in public, running down a road with his robe flapping in the wind. It was not done. But this father did it in order to protect his son from experiencing shame himself. Okay, back to the first century. Then the son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But he stopped. He didn't give the rest of the speech about being a hired hand, getting a job. He stopped there. I think the son was as surprised as the rest of us by his father's action. I think it changed his whole perspective on the situation. Maybe he was so impressed by his father's love and acceptance, so grateful that his father had saved him from our scorn, that he decided better off to rely on his father's mercy than to try to earn some kind of reconciliation. Or maybe he realized he couldn't bring about reconciliation. Maybe in that moment of feeling his father's embrace, he realized he had done more than waste money. He'd hurt his father so that all he could do at this point was to ask for mercy. He couldn't buy back the relationship. Well, the father left no doubt about whether he was accepting the son back. He told his servants, put sandals on his feet, ring on his finger. The father said, give him my best robe. And he told them, go kill the fouted calf. We're going to have a celebration. Now you note, he didn't say kill a chicken or a goat. And I was really glad to hear that because that meant we were all invited. This was going to be a big party. Well, that's only half the story. You see, later that afternoon... When I came in from the fields, I went out to work to come back for the dinner. 
Um, I was coming in, and just the time I was coming, the older son was coming in from the fields at the same time as me. So I stopped to let him go into the house first. Okay, another brief um, moment here, back to the 21st century. It was customary in their time and culture for the older son to be the greeter at the door at a celebratory dinner like this. So the older son would be at the door, welcome people in, then after they're in, the older son would go around, um, ask people, how's the food, would you like more wine? That was his customary role. And in their culture, as in ours, if there was a family disagreement, the expectation would be that the son would wait until after all the guests had gone home and then say, Dad, there's something we need to talk about, but not in the middle of the party. Have the argument. Okay, back to the first century. So I stopped to let him go into the house first so that he could receive me. But he stopped, turned to a servant and said, what's going on here? And the servant explained to him what was going on. Well, the older son started complaining, turned around and said, I'm not joining in this. I deserve a party, not him. Well, just then I noted that the father was in the doorway of the house, looking out, seeing his older son. Instinctively, I took a step back because I thought this father is going to explode when he sees his son not coming in to the party to greet us, to welcome us. But for the second time that day, that father surprised me, amazed me. The father did come out, but instead of yelling at his son, instead of grabbing him, driving him to the house, he came out and pleaded with him, come in. But the older son continued the problem, continued insulting his father. As he responded, he spoke with no respect, not a title. He said, listen, for all these years I've been working like a slave for you and I've never disobeyed your commands. Yet you've never even given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed a fatted calf for him. But the father kept going out of his way to try to bring the older son in to the family celebration. He responded with words of relationship. Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. Now, don't you feel like I haven't quite finished the story? Wouldn't you like to know what happened? Did the older son stay out? Or did the older son go in and join the meal? Well, that's where Jesus ended. So we need to end there as well. So why did Jesus stop there? Why did Jesus not tell us the end of the story? To answer that question, we need to think about the two groups of people listening to this parable. Do you remember who they were? They were you. Remember, I asked you to imagine yourselves as the excluded. So there's the excluded um, people living on the edge of society, and then these religious leaders, Pharisees, scribes, teachers of the law. Those two, two groups are listening. So I think we need to ask, what did this parable communicate to those two groups? 
in order to answer the question of why Jesus stopped there. What did the parable communicate to the tax collectors, to the sinners, to the outcasts? It communicates that God loves them and is willing to demonstrate that love even at personal expense. By telling the parable, God incarnate in Jesus is living that out. Rather than saving face, by telling the parable, Jesus is taking a stance of solidarity with the excluded by stepping out to ask the Pharisees, the scribes, to come in. A foretaste of what would come in a much greater way at the cross. What, then, is Jesus communicating to the other group, the Pharisees, teachers of the law? They're the reason he doesn't finish the story. They need to finish it. He is saying, I'm offering love and forgiveness to these people. Will you, the older son, come in and join the party of acceptance? They have to decide how the story is going to end. But isn't Jesus communicating something else to the Pharisees? Anyone in that culture would agree that the younger son had taken actions that deeply damaged relationships and had, in fact, broken the law. But they also would have seen that the older son, from the very beginning, although keeping the letter of the law, also had done things that damaged relationships and certainly erred by not working for reconciliation. Isn't Jesus saying to this group, these religious leaders, Yes, you too are sinners. But, just like the Father in the parable, isn't Jesus coming out, not just to scold them, to confront them, but also to invite them in, to embrace them as well? Isn't he communicating God's love and acceptance to them also? One son is lost in a foreign land. The other son is lost at home. The Father reaches out in love to both, desires to restore relationships, come together, and eat at one table again as a family. Well, how about us today in the 21st century? What does this mean to us? If you are here this morning and you feel like a younger son, this is a strong message that God loves you and is willing to forgive you, no matter how big or how many your wrongs, as the father in the parable forgave the younger son. I invite you to rest in God's loving embrace, just as the younger son in the parable rested in the forgiveness and mercy of his father's embrace. Personally, though, I've never identified much with the younger son in this parable. When I was a high school student, I was not swearing, cheating, drinking, fighting, or starting race riots like others in my school. I kept the rules. I've pretty much always been like that. But I truly am an older son. Keeping the rules, but sinning in thoughts and attitudes along the way. Like the Pharisees, confident in my goodness, confidently drawing lines between myself and others. In high school, by that list of things I mentioned, but um, over the last few decades, more, more drawing lines of who is right or wrong within, among Christians. 
I've often, um, and many of the issues that I have used to draw those lines to distinguish good Christians from not so good Christians, right or wrong, um, are issues that I think are important. But my judgmentalism and sense of superiority place me in that older son category. And that has hurt me and hurt others as well. Through this parable, Jesus calls me to leave this behind. Not just because it's wrong, but because it's not necessary. I do not need to gain my security from being on the right side of one line or the other, the right side of one issue or another. Rather, it's an invitation to those of us here who feel like older sons to relax in the security of God's love and stop drawing those lines. This brings us back to what is central in the parable, not the younger son or the older son, but the image of the father willing to suffer shame to communicate love and forgiveness in order to restore relationships with each son individually and together as a family. What does God desire? To love and embrace you and invite you to love and embrace others who you might naturally avoid. I'd like to end with a moment of silent reflection. Just as the father in the parable came down the street and out of the house, to express love to his sons, I invite you to be open to ways that God desires to communicate love to you this morning. So imagine yourself on the street outside of the house and allow God to give you an embrace as the Father in the parable does. What are the words that God's Spirit has to say to you this morning as God is embracing you? What are the words of acceptance, of love, perhaps words that contrast from voices you're hearing from others around you? A word of forgiveness. And who might God be calling you to offer words of love and acceptance to today, this week? Rest in God's loving embrace. As we are called to prayer through the singing of Lead Me, Lord, I would invite you to pray in the way you are most moved to best support the prayers of this community. Please come to the altar rail or stand in your place. Raise your hands however your prayer is best given to God.
Beloved, I will set the intention and then say, Lord, in your mercy, if you would please respond, hear our prayer. Let us pray together. Gracious and loving God, we give you thanks for this time with you and with one another when we can bring the deepest thoughts and prayers of our hearts to you. And so this day we lift up ourselves in this place and time as your people to join with you in your work of love and justice in the world, to give to you our own hurts and our own sense of exclusion, and to work with you to heal the hurts and end the exclusion of others. And so if we pray for the work that we do here in our prayers and our worship, our service and our learning, that you will bless them and multiply them and make them a source of joy to your glory. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We pray for the nations of the world, for their leaders, their policies, their hopes and their dreams, their fears and their confusions. We pray also for the wider, of, wider creation, that we may be good stewards of your glory and your beauty and your love to us. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We pray for all those who face particular challenges of body, mind, spirit this week, for those who are in grief over loss, for those who are in confusion, caught up in forces over which they have little control, for those who are working with oppression, poverty, war, and deep unhappiness. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We pray with thanksgiving for the joys and the celebrations of our human lives, for your love for us and our love for each other, for the blessings of family and friends and the beauty of your creation. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. And now, as our Savior Christ has taught us, we are bold to say, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
Once again, we welcome you to our service of worship today. I would invite your attention to your bulletin, both actual and virtual, through our website. And we would invite your further communication through our email at chapel at bu.edu. We are very pleased to have had Dr. Mark Baker with us, both for lunch this week and today. And we wish him traveling mercies as he returns to his wife, Chaplain Lynn Baker, who graced our pulpit last week. And a special greeting to our friends in... I want to make sure I pronounce this correctly. Tegucigalpa, Honduras, as we are connected in very special ways through Dr. Baker's good work with us today. This does mark the last of our summer national preaching series. We thank Dr. Mark Baker, Dr. Chaplain Lynn Baker, Reverend Michael McKee, and Reverend Randy Day for their presence and their gifts with us and the good words that we have heard from them. And we wish a particular blessing on their continuing work. Next Sunday, we are happy to welcome back one of our own, Brother Larry Whitney, University Chaplain for Community Life, has returned from his travels, both domestic and international, and we look forward to a good word from him next Sunday in our pulpit. We invite you to join us today for our coffee hour, which is downstairs in the March Room. Uh, we would be happy to greet old friends and new, and we hope you can join us. Our readers today are Joanne Isbicki and Carolyn Monaghan, Victoria Gaskell. Our choir is directed today by Tim Westerhouse, and our organist is Justin Blackwell. Our sacristan is David Ames, and I am Victoria Hart Gaskell, chapel associate here at Marsh. And now the ushers will wait upon us for our tithes, our gifts, and our offerings.
give us every good and perfect thing. We offer these, our gifts, back to you in love and gratitude for the blessings of our lives, that they may be used and multiplied to bless others and ourselves. In the name of Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit, amen. Our hymn is number 549. let us go from this place in peace, knowing that we are never out of the presence of the one who runs to meet us wherever we are. In the name of that one who makes us, who loves us, who keeps us in everything. Amen. <laughs> 